Good morning, Church of the Cross. It's great to be with you today. Um, as Sarah said, it's a joy for me to be part of this community and see its maturity and its growth. I started going to Christ Church from which this church was birthed just a few months before we sent this community out. And it's been amazing for me as a coach and a mentor to Peter, but also just a friend of this community to watch it go from infancy to toddler and now to go from adolescence to sort of young adulthood as a church. Uh, you're an amazing community of love and care and generativity. I can't wait to see what God does in you and what he does to the community of Austin through you to God's glory. So thank you for letting me be a part from a distance and uh, the, again this morning. Well, this morning we come to Trinity Sunday. Uh, Trinity Sunday is the day in the Christian year that we celebrate the mystery and the unity of the Godhead. We heard some of those words already this morning. We worship one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's always the Sunday after Pentecost when we celebrate the arrival of the Spirit promised to us by, in the Gospel of John 14, which we just read. And let me say quickly today that in this sermon, we're going to celebrate the Trinity with emphasis on the mystery. A.W. Tozer wrote, to meditate on the three persons of the Godhead is to walk in thought through the garden eastward into Eden and to tread on holy ground. Our sincerest efforts to grasp the incomprehensible mystery of the Trinity must remain forever futile. And only by deepest reverence can we, it be saved from actual presumption. I am not going to presume today to have plumbed the mystery of the Trinity and attempt to explain it to us. That would be foolishness on my part and a disservice to you and the glory of God. I'm in good company there. John Wesley said, bring me a worm that can comprehend a human, and then I will show you a human who can comprehend the triune God. But that's not to say that we should not consider the Trinity in all our thought and our journeys in faith. All the creeds that we declare include this in our faith. We believe in one God, Father Almighty, in one Lord Jesus Christ, in the Spirit whom they, they send. This is an integral part of our faith. It's our creed. It's our declaration every week. It's an important part of who we are and ultimately who we're meant to be. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that today. But Harold Linsell, one of the founders of the seminary where I now work at Fuller Theological Seminary, said this, the mind of humankind cannot fully understand the mystery of the Trinity. He who has tried to understand fully will lose his mind. But he who would deny the Trinity will lose his soul. Again, this is an essential mystery for you and I as we journey as the people of God in faith and in worship in the holy unity that is Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, while the Trinity is not found, the word there, anywhere in the Scripture, it's clear that the record of the Word gives us clarity in God's self-revelation as Father, Son, and Spirit. Most profoundly, He reveals Himself to us as love. Inherent unity and community in love. God is love, the Apostle John tells us. 
And we are reminded by the English priest Gerald Bray, God cannot love unless there's something for which him he has love. But if that something were not part of himself, it would not be perfect. He can't be perfect if he's not sufficient in and of himself. So the first object of God's love, therefore, is the other persons of the Trinity. He exists in co-equal love among themselves. They exist loving and attention to one another. They live in subjection to one another, not in servitude, but in voluntary servanthood. Beautifully expressed in Jesus' declaration that he only taught what was given to him by the Father. A friend of mine and now scholar, Dr. Michael Lawrence, once said this, that there was never a time when God was not expressing love toward another and receiving love from another. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. Love is bound up in the very nature of the Trinity. God cannot be God without love because God is love. This is today what I'm comfortable presuming about the Trinity. They live in loving, caring attention to one another. Father, Son, and Spirit. One God in three persons. A holy relationship. A mystery and unity. But this reality begs the question for us of how the Trinity and the idea of the Trinity changes your life and my life. And I'd like to explore that question with you in the implications of what it means to be created in the image of a God who is a relationship. Remember our Old Testament reading this morning out of Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God declares, let us make humanity in our resemblance. So God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. Out of the declaration, let us make humanity in our resemblance. All of us are made in the image of God. We bear his likeness, his resemblance, even in his mysterious trinity. And the fact that God is one and also relationship has an implication upon our life. We are created in the image of God that is a relationship. And if we live into that reality, our lives will be different every day. So you and I are the only creation made in the image of God. That's the biblical record of Genesis. And therefore, the only creation capable of relating the way God relates and therefore capable of relating to God in relationship to God. Daryl Johnson says this, that the community at the center of the universe draws near to me and draws near to me in such a way that the community draws me into the inner relatedness of that community. He goes on to say ultimately that we're invited to become co-lovers of God with God as God is in love of with himself, co-love of of Father, Son, and Spirit, we're invited to join him in that experience. He invites us into loving union with the community that is the Godhead. Now, God doesn't need to create a being because he's lonely or deprived or that he needs something that he can get from us to make him sufficient. No, he's sufficient in mutual love for one another in and of himself. But he chooses to create us in lavish grace. 
so that we may join the Trinity in mutual love, care, and service. I love how this invitation is expressed in the life of Jesus. Mark 3, Jesus says, went up into a mountain and he called to himself those whom he wanted that they might be with him. He wants us so that he, he might be with us. Now remember this, before we're anything in the world, we're the wanted, the desired of God. Father, Son, and Spirit who wants differently than any of us. His perfection, his desire is pure, holy, and utterly self-giving. I think the closest thing I've ever experienced to that kind of pure want is the desire to be with my grandchildren. I'm a grandfather to five kids. They range from four years this August to one month old. I want them to come and be part of my life and the life that I have and share with their grandmother. This is something I want to give them and want to invite them to become part of. Now, I don't need them to be happy all the time. I don't need them in my life for me to be happy, but I want them to come as they are, to be okay with them being grumpy or tired or hungry or joyful or laughing or silly. I get to say to them, this is your space and you're safe here. It's a whole lot easier to be a grandparent like that than it is to be an actual parent. Amen? I, I, I hope that it's because I'm a little bit more mature than I was 30 years ago when we had our kids. I don't think that's the truth. But it helps me to live out of the reality that being in relationship with my grandkids is so much more important to me now than what they might break in my home. Or, or th that they might destroy the idealized dinner conversation I might want to enjoy with my kids. Maturity over time has let us relax and invite our littles into our life that Lisa and I have ease and hope that they would enjoy. They know that Nona and Poppy, those are our names, and for them to accept them, they, they feel safe with us. And we have to admit that we have it easy because we don't have to deal with all the really hard parts of their parenting all the time. We don't deal with the sleepless nights only by choice, right? We don't get to experience the daily ruined plans, the food stained, everything. By the way, your kids are the reason you can't have nice things. It's the reason we only have some nice things now. Despite that, I'm learning what it is to invite people into my life in pure want and desire to share relationship. My relationship to Lisa, my relationship to God, and my relationship to my children. We're inviting them into a community that pre-exists our kids. And we're saying, you're safe, you're okay, you belong. And you are created to be in relationship with God in this very same way, to join their loving community to belong there, to be part of the family, to love and be loved, to, to delight and to be delighted over. The Trinity went to such great lengths to make that happen. And each Sunday we celebrate that reality as in the Eucharist. We remember the saving work of God so that we can take our place in the family that he's inviting us to, the community that is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so when we come up later to receive the elements, would you take a moment to remember that this is what you were made for. You belong here. You belong to God. He is your family. God is your home. 
You're invited to call him father and his son brother. You were made for this. For relationship with a mystery that is the Trinity. The loving, perfect God of the universe who made you like himself. Now, not only are we made for relationship with God, uniquely in all creation, made for relationship with God, we're also made for each other. Because we're made in the image of God, who is Trinity, God, who is relationship, the only way we can be truly human is to be in relationship to other humans made in relationship in the image of God. Let me start again by reading another, reminding us of another part of our Old Testament reading when God said, it's not good for the human to be alone. Do you remember that? And so he creates someone who's like him, a helpmate for him. Now, one of the things I want you to understand about that passage, if you read Genesis 1 all the way through Genesis 2, you recognize something that is off when we come to this place. When he says, it's not good for the human to be alone. Adam wasn't alone. He was with all creation. He was with the birds, the beasts, the birds, the, 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 he named them all. He was with everything that was created. And he was with God. He was with all creation and he was with God. Face to face in loving community. And yet God said, it's not good for the human to be alone. Now, he was not alone, but he was alone in a unique way. He was alone in his kind. Genesis 1 said the beasts had their kind, the birds had their kind, the seas had their kind. Adam was the only one who wasn't living in mutuality with someone of his kind, someone who was like him. God had his kind. Father, Son, Spirit, eternally existing in mutual love to each other. The beasts, the birds had their kind. Adam was the only one made in the image of God who was above all creation and under the kingship of Jesus that didn't have someone who knew what it was like to inhabit that space. That's what was not good. We are created relationally to be related to God, but also relationally to be related to others who bear the image of God with us. We are made for to take our place in the community that's God, but God himself declares that we need something more. It's not good that we become alone. Now, some of you may have said, like I did when I was 16 when my father died, I don't need other people. I'm good alone. All I need is God. God disagreed with me, and God disagrees with you. God knows you need other human beings who bear the image of God made for relationship, made to relate to others as you imitate the Trinity and their loving, self-giving love for one another. In the Mark passage I mentioned earlier, where Jesus called people to be with him, even there, other people were embedded in the process. It says he called 12. The only way to be with Jesus was to be with the others who were invited to be with Jesus. And isn't that the horrible truth that we get to live with in the church? That was the hard part for the disciples. The gospel record is replete with stories of their fighting for place, fighting for position, fighting for power. It's the same for us too. Relationships are vital, but they're hard and sometimes painful. And the church is for many a place of challenge and difficulty. Many have said, I love God. It's just his people I can't stand. But nonetheless, God calls us to be in relationship 
to one another. In fact, no one's ever been invited to follow God alone. Always in the company of other humans. Always in the company of the church of God. It's God's only plan for us to bear his image and walk in this world. And that's not some sort of cosmic punishment to us. Some relational minefield or obstacle course designed to make us better, stronger, or more holy. No, we're invited into this. Dare I say graced for this. Because relationships are for our good. In a very practical way, we do well to remember the wise words of Ecclesiastes. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We're better together. We're stronger together. We're not easily broken when united to others in mutual love, servicehood, servanthood, and respect. We're not equipped to do life alone. Mere survival, moving forward, thriving requires people to help us people to support us, people equipped to, uh, to equip us, encourage us all along the way. That's the only way to be human in the image of God. But moreover, relationship is what it means for us to be, again, the image of God fully in, alive in the world. Relationship's the only place we can truly be what we've been created to be. Let me explain it this way. A knife's not really a knife unless it's sharp. If it's not sharp, it's just a piece of flat metal. Sharp is the essence of what it means to be a knife. A refrigerator is not really a refrigerator if it's not cold inside, right? When it's not cold, it's not fulfilling its purpose. It's just a storage box and in some places lawn art right? Or perhaps a death trap to children. Cold is the essence of what it means to be a refrigerator. For humans, our essence is relationship. We're made in the image of God that is three in one. What we, when, what we are when outside of relationships, what are we if we don't inhabit those kinds of beings, places? We are ultimately just our performance, our achievements, Promotions, GPAs, awards, our reputation, perhaps. Maybe, and sadly, just our bank accounts. We get reduced to what we do, what we have, or what people think of us. Yet none of that's eternal. None of that gets to come with us when we go to the other side and inhabit relationship with the Trinity for all eternity. The essence of a knife is sharp. The essence of a refrigerator is cold. And the essence of a human is relationship. We're made for relationship with God and relationship with others. Hence, we're given the greatest of all commands summed up in this law. We read it earlier. Love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there are some here who are freaking out a little. 
You woke up this morning hoping to just get away from people for a little while. Moms, I see you. Like when we had little kids, we just had to say, the bathroom's mom's private domain. You're not allowed to sit on her lap in there. The rest of you are just called introverts. Let me be quick to say that we are many and varied in the ways we inhabit and inherit relationship in our essence. We all do it uniquely and in keeping with the personalities given to us by creation and formed in us by family and by circumstances and time. There is not one best way to be relational. We're all different and can beautifully express our essential relational essence in unique and genuine ways that are true to who you are. Let me give you an example. I've been part of a small group. How many of you guys are in small group right now or have been? It's really the most important place that I've experienced for my Christian formation is to live in mutual relationship with other people. But it took me a little while as an extrovert and fairly open in my life and self-disclosure to learn that others were coming with their best to the community when they didn't share to the level that I might be comfortable. I would talk about what was going on in my marriage. We are having a fight, or I hate my kids right now, or whatever was really going on in my life. And a friend of ours, a friend named Paula, who's an amazing, beautiful, incredible, intelligent person, would come with lots of her questions and concerns, but she would just say, work was hard today. And it took me a long time to realize that Paula was bringing her best vulnerability, her best self, that she was saying something true about her that was hard for her to say. I had to receive it as the gift that it was. And she had to learn to receive my expression of vulnerability as the gift that it was to her. We had to learn how to receive each other in each other's uniqueness. My expression of vulnerability is informed and empowered by my history, my relationship to my wife, by my experience of my family. So was Paula's. So was Lisa's. Uh, Lisa sometimes calls me a bucket mouth. If it opens, it all falls out. She would prefer, as an introvert, that I be careful about what I say. We're different, but both made in the image of God. Now, that being said, I think there may be some markers in our lives where we can know if we are stepping into relationship in a healthy way. To be sure, there's a myriad of disciplines that we could practice to help us like servanthood, celebration, hospitality, generosity. All of those are spiritual practices that are vital in communities of faith like this one. They build hope and joy and build people into the image of God they're created to be in his relational essence. But I've never known someone to be healthy in human relationship without some kind of truth-telling. Truth-telling is a vital spiritual practice to any healthy human and any healthy community of faith. To be healthy in community will mean that at least someone will know your loves, your hopes, and your desires and dreams. They'll also maybe know your hurts, your fears, and some of your failings, at least to some degree. Remember, everyone's different. This kind of relationship requires the ability to tell the truth about ourselves. In many ways, it's like confession. 
To say what I love or what I'm afraid of is not to say that the object of my love is good or the locus of my fear is even true, but it's simply to say what is. It's bringing my true self to the light of day in relationship, the light of God's love, and hopefully to the light of the love of people in the community of God's church. Now, this kind of truth-telling requires two people, one who risks and gives an enormous gift of the truth and one who listens, extending the gift of love. David Augsburger said, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. Please never underestimate the gift and power of listening to the truth of another person's story. It's an act of love, an act of self-giving. In so doing, you're inviting your friend into relationship as they are. It's very much what God does to all of us, inviting us to become part of the community that is the Godhead. Come tell your truth, he says. Come as you are. Come find healing and relationship with us. You're made in our image and you belong here. And when we listen, we say, I'm made in your image too. I'm broken. I'm fractured just like you. Let's relate to one another and to God in that truth. There's a lot of power in truth-telling. Sometimes freedom comes, acceptance, joy, hope. Have you ever had an experience where you told a frightening truth that was received with listening and empathy? Do you remember what it was like in that moment? For me, it was a miracle. Someone knows, and I'm still alive. That's what it felt like. They see the truth about me and accept me the way I am. They still want to be in the same room as me. And friends, that's in large part how I fell in love with my wife. In, in some ways, I fell in love with her capacity to love and be empathetic, to listen and accept, to acknowledge that we are together in our mutual need for God's mercy and grace and transformation. Of course, living in this kind of community will eventually require other vital practices and fruits of the Spirit that enable community health, like forgiveness. You'll never be in a relationship in your life where you're not required to forgive. It will require patience, long-suffering, kindness, but those are sermons for another day. For some of us, all this seems a bit overwhelming, but remember, this is what you're made for. It's worth it. It's your purpose. It's practical. It's God's invitation for you today and every single day. Enter the, the community that is the Trinity. Enter the community that is God's church. This is how you bear his image. One God, three persons. So this morning, I invite you to risk. I invite you to move towards your most fundamental essence. Move towards relationship. Who can you call and invite out to coffee this week? Who could you tell some of your story? Maybe not all, just a little. Who do you need to listen to? This morning, I want you to start risking with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The community that is our God is inviting you to come, to be with them, to enjoy them, to be loved and known and forgiven and delighted over. Would you risk telling Jesus the truth?
Tell him what you need, what you hope for, where it hurts, how much you desire to be forgiven. And later in our service, you will be invited to this table. It's a place where you can do all of that. This is the place you belong. Father God, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for inviting us to become one with you, to walk with you, to hide ourselves in you. Give us courage to love and be loved, to celebrate and be celebrated. Give us courage and capacity to listen. We pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.